Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So you've probably seen it, but it doesn't happen very often. Uh, charismatics or people in the NAR or Pentecostals uh, claim that uh, they're so overcome by the anointing, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that they begin con uh, basically convulsing or laughing or behaving in a manner that is uncontrolled. Mm -hmm. Is that a real manifestation of the Holy Spirit? No, it's not. Uh, today we're going to be going to the so-called fire and glory outpouring. Uh, re remember the fellow who, who's a, Pharaoh's heads are going to roll. You know, the Pharaohs come down now, because Jesus so delicately, lovingly, sweetly, tenderly decapitates my enemy. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he, he was preaching at the. Uh, fire and glory outpouring. But today we're going to be listening to uh, one of the uh, mainstays of the so-called fire and glory outpouring. That's Miranda Nelson. And what you're going to see should disturb you. If you ever, if you were sitting on the fence thinking, well, maybe this woman's legit. Maybe she's not. Maybe Jer Jer uh, Jeremy Nelson is her husband. They're legit. Maybe they're not. It, you're kind of, you're not wavering between two, two opinions here. No, 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 no need wavering anymore. This should seal the deal. These are manifestations of a false Holy Spirit. Notice how I phrased it. I didn't say these are false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. No. These are manifestations of a false Holy Spirit, a different Holy Spirit than the Holy Spirit of Scripture. What we're going to see is absolute blasphemy and is contrary to why Christians have the Holy Spirit at all. In fact, we'll be doing a little bit of an in-depth study uh, as to what Christ said the Holy Spirit would do, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit for Christian believers, and note that that has nothing to do with what we're seeing here. So let's uh, whirl up the desktop and uh, let's open up my web browser. I'm kind of not thrilled about doing this. And uh, this is from, what's the date on this? August 20th, 2022. Uh, Miranda Nelson's message uh, on you run your race. But uh, this is the beginning portion of it. And uh, let's just say that things go sideways really quick. Here we go. To share tonight. Uh, I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. Oh, we show Oh, maybe it was a bad idea to pray. <laughs> it's always a good idea to pray. Lord, we love you so much. And we just want what you want. And we just say, have your way, Holy Spirit. <laughs> We want to ride the waves of your glory, God. Oh, Ride the waves of God's glory. That's not taught in scripture. Jesus. <laughs> we want to ride the waves with you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Notice that her body is convulsing uncontrollably. And, I, and, uh, and I'm going to say this really just kind of bluntly. The only time you ever see this in scripture is when somebody is manifesting a demon. I am not speaking in hyperbole. <laughs> oh, Jesus, we say, have your way. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. Move how you want to move, God. Oh, Jesus, here we are. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit, drink of us as we drink of you. 
We want full immersion. <laughs> Come on, there's no other way than full immersion. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Now, I'm going to point this out. That's not speaking in tongues. That's gibberish. But if this were a, a valid manifestation of the gift of tongues, she just broke a command of scripture. L let me explain. So uh, let me whirl up my Bible here. And uh, we'll go to 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14. I'm not going to do an extensive teaching on all of it. But you'll note that in, uh, in scripture, when it talks about spiritual gifts, there are varieties of gifts, same spirit. Uh, this is chapter 12. There are, you know, there are varieties of service, the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each then is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So note, if you, if you want to believe in manifestations of the Holy Spirit, I do, by the way, just not that, um, that God, the Holy Spirit, still gives gifts today for the purpose of building the body of Christ. Gifts are given not for the person exercising the gift. Gifts are given for the purpose of serving the body of Christ. This is why the Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to the, according to the same spirit, to another faith in the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of glossa, languages, to another interpretation of languages. And all of these are empowered by the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so you'll note in chapter 12, uh, the main thrust is, is that there are a variety of gifts Gifts are given for the purpose of the common good. And now tongues, you'll see as we get into the later chapters here, is held out as a gift that is not really for believers. It is a sign gift for unbelievers, and it doesn't serve a function within the body of Christ for building up the body of Christ unless you have an interpreter. So Paul then says, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And so he talks about the fact of how foolish it would be if the foot said, well, I'm not important because I'm not the mouth or things like this, right? Or if the whole body were a bunch of ears, you know, where would the rest of the body be? So the, the, the argument is on variety of gifts. And so at the end of chapter 27, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ. Individually, you are members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of glossa, languages, tongues. And then he asks a series of questions. I, I point this out with some regularity. Uh, so uh, in the Greek language, in Koine Greek, you know, a question is ended with a semicolon. And when the particle, that's a particle there, it's pronounced may, when it appears, it is a negative particle. And when it appears in a question, it doesn't get translated, but it is absolutely necessary then that the answer to the question being asked is no. There's no way around it. There's no, there's no, there's, ab, it's absolutely no. So he asks the question, may pontes apostoloi, are all apostles? The may is there, so the answer is no. Uh, may pontes prophetai, are all prophets? Well, may is there, the answer is no. May pontes didaskaloi, are all teachers? Well, may is there, the answer is no. May pontes dunamis, do, do, do all work miracles? 
again, no. Me pantas charismata um, uh, Do all uh, possess gifts of healing? Again, the answer is no. And then we get to the question. Me pantas glosais la lucen. Do all speak in tongues? The answer is no. So the charismatic doctrine that uh, the, the, of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues, absolutely false. Absolutely false. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There are not two baptisms. And that being the case, it is absolutely theologically and biblically impossible that everybody received the same gift, the gift of tongues. The whole point that Paul is making here in chapter 12 is that there are a variety of gifts and no, all do not speak in tongues. Even if this was a valid gift for today, few would have it. Only a handful. But this claim that somehow, you know, this is a universal gift that God wants everybody to have. No. May pantas glosais le lucen? No. No. All do not speak in tongues. There's no way around it. The may is there. So the answer to that is no. Then... We'll, we note that in chapter 13, this is the great love chapter. I'm going to kind of leave that out for the purpose of this installment of Fighting for the Faith, but you're welcome to read it. I'm not saying you can't. It, it, it's actually part of the context. And the whole point that Paul is making here is, is that gifts are given. They must be exercised in love for your fellow believers in Christ. No gift is given for the purpose of self-gratification. That's not the point. So then he says, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Uh, for no one understands him, he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding. And there's where the big distinction now is being made. Chapter 14 is putting huge limits on the gift of tongues and noting that it if you're not upbuilding people in a church service, you cannot use this gift in, a, in the context of a church because it doesn't build anyone up unless you have a translator. So on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue you know, builds up himself. Uh, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? The answer to the question is you wouldn't be benefiting me at all. If lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not, ha do not give distinct knowledge, notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Tongues doesn't do that. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Note here. If you legitimately have the gift of tongues, and I doubt any of you do, but if you did, you are commanded by God the Holy Spirit, by Christ himself, to pray that you may interpret. 
Mm-hmm. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Uh, what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by a people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And here we see the actual reason for the gift of tongues. Tongues are a sign to unbelieving Jews. Mm-hmm. The prophecy is from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. God says, by a people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It is a sign then of God's judgment for those who persist in refusing to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the point of tongues. In fact, it makes perfect sense because only people in that time who were acquainted with the Jewish scriptures would have known where languages came from. Mm -hmm. Languages came from God mixing human languages at the Tower of Babel. And so this is a sign gift to unbelievers and as a fulfillment of the prophecy in in Isaiah 28, 11. This is why it says very clearly then, thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Yes, they will. And that's not a compliment. And then Paul's not saying, that's the coolest thing ever. They'll think that you're out of your minds. No, he's saying that as a rebuke. If all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters in, he's convicted by all. Note the Apostle Paul believes that uh, what Christ says, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin. If he is convicted by all that he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson or a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Let me say that again. Let all things be done for building up. Period. Manifesting gibberish or a language that doesn't edify anybody or build them up because nobody knows what you're saying, that is forbidden by God. Okay, so let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. That's right. If you don't have an interpreter, zip it. You don't get to practice your gift of tongues unless there's somebody to interpret because all things must be done in the church for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you all can prophesy one 
by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Did you catch that? God is not a God of confusion. And what we're seeing here in Miranda Nelson and what's going on at the so-called fire and glory outpouring, it is utter confusion. But God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. And then you'll note, there's a little bit more to it. Uh, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they're not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And then he goes on, or was it from you that the word of God came? No, it didn't. Or are you the only ones that has reached? No, it's not. So if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or thinks that he's spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things, all of these things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord, all of them. So Christ has commanded, uh, Miranda Nelson shouldn't be preaching in the church. Christ has commanded that no one is to speak in tongues without an interpreter. All things must be done for the purpose of building up the church. And Paul then ends, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So Miranda here is in deep trouble, and I mean deep. She is, by her very actions, defying the commands of Christ, and multiple ones at that. This is utter confusion. God is not the author of confusion, nor is he a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. So watch again. <laughs> we want full immersion. <laughs> Come on, there's no other way than full immersion. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no, that not even Google can figure out what she oh, said. Oh, we don't want to hold back. Lord, we want to be all in, <laughs> all in like Ezekiel, God. We want to be all in, not just a step, not just an ankle, not just a knee, God. Oh, <laughs> we want to be over our heads, God. <laughs> hey, that's what happens when you have your eyes closed and you're kind of <laughs> riding the waves, you know. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, I understand people deal, deal with stuff. <laughs> this is not the Holy Spirit. This is a manifestation of a false Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let's um, do a more, little more work. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? What's its role? In fact, I would note, I am an absolute believer in the necessity of the Holy Spirit as a Christian. We, this is an, it's, God the Holy Spirit is such an important, vital part of Christianity. You cannot walk the Christian walk without him period. So let's let's take a look at what Christ says. In John chapter 14, this is where Christ uh, begins to unwind and begin to prophesy the coming Holy Spirit, whom he's going to send from the Father. So Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will 
keep terao, you will guard my commandments. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, parakletos, a, a helper, that's what the, the Holy Spirit is, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, note what the Holy Spirit is, the spirit of truth, he's not the spirit of lies, nor is he a God of confusion, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, and I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, and you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps, Tareo guards them. Uh, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, so kind of that's your basic, you know, basic beginning of this, that the Holy Spirit is the helper who will be with us. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, when the helper, the parakletos comes, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth. Again, the Holy Spirit is not the spirit of lies. He's the spirit of truth. He proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will bear witness about Christ. He doesn't draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then in John 16, Jesus adds some more concepts. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, note personal pronouns here, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged." So if we were to talk about kind of primary work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of a believer is the Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ, always points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our unbelief, primary work of the Holy Spirit, right? And then you'll note then it is also by the power of the Holy Spirit that we then mortify our sinful flesh. And here's what I mean. If you were to read the book of Romans, in the book of Romans chapter 7, you have the description of what I call the normal Christian life. Because as Christians, uh, we, uh, we have been regenerated. We have a new nature as a result of the powerful working of God, the Holy Spirit, when we were regenerated and brought to faith in Christ. But we still have our sinful nature, our, the, the nature we inherited from Adam. And as a result of it, the Holy Spirit and our old nature are at war with each other. And so the normal Christian life feels like being at war with yourself. That's the normal Christian life. So Paul, in talking about the commandments and the law of God, he asked the question, did that which was good then bring death to me? The law of God, by the way, is very good. The problem with the law is not the law. The problem is us. We're not, we're not holy. We are not. So by no means, it was sin that produced death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual. 
but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I, I agree with the law that it is good. Now it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. In and of ourselves, we do not have the strength necessary to obey God's commands. That's what Paul is saying. And so your new man is at war with your old man, and they are just constantly just going at it. I do not do the good that I want, Paul says, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see that in my members another law that is waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says this, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit." Now, here's where it begins to crack open. Christians do not walk according to the flesh. Walk here, peripateo, is a Hebraism, uh, although it's the Greek word being used here. It, but it comes from, if you were to search the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, you would, t- you would see the word halach used many times, talking about how we conduct our lives. Okay, so to walk is how you conduct your day-to-day life. So we then, as Christians, we walk, we conduct our lives, not according to the flesh, but watch this, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh, that's death. To set the mind on the Spirit, that is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh, it is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, does he? Yeah, he does. Are you a baptized, penitent believer in Jesus Christ? You have the Holy Spirit, right? So if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who who raised Christ from Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We are, but not to the flesh in order to live according to the flesh. No, 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 no. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So note the role of the Holy Spirit. He proclaims Christ. He convicts us of our sin and unbelief. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to put to death the deeds of our sinful flesh.
The working of the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of producing within us the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's work in us is vital in producing within us what? Holiness. Here's where Galatians 6 then, uh, not 6, but Galatians 5 comes into play. So Paul says this, I say walk, conduct your life, how? By the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This isn't talking about speaking in tongues. This is about crying out to God, the Holy Spirit, and saying, Dear Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, please give me the strength today to, to, to mortify my sinful flesh and its evil passions. Right? So by the Spirit, then, you, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, here's, here's the, where the distinction is. The desires of the flesh, they are contrary to the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit, they are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, they are evident. Here are the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, now watch, the fruit of the Spirit is in complete juxtaposition, opposition to the, to the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in, also keep in step with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit is vital because it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we conduct our walk, our lives out. And it's the Holy Spirit who produces in us the opposite of the fruit of the flesh. All of that comes by his power, not yours. So the Holy Spirit is vital. But you're going to note here what we're seeing Miranda manifest. That ain't the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's something diabolical. 2 Corinthians 11 is uh, helpful in this regard. Paul speaking against the so-called super apostles, right? Um, he says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus, there is no other Jesus, than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit, there is no other spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel, there is no other gospel than the, than the gospel from the one you accepted. You put up with it readily enough. And Paul here is condemning them, rebuking them for that, right? Different spirit, different Jesus, different gospel. I would note Miranda Nelson, this is a different Holy Spirit. This, in fact, this spirit isn't even holy that she's manifesting. 
that this isn't the Holy Spirit. It's something different. And Paul warns of those who bring different gospels, different Jesuses, and different spirits. He says, and what I'm doing, I will continue to do in, under, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men, they are false apostles deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So this is a different spirit. This isn't the Holy Spirit. And this is terrifying. So, you know, if you're just looking and you're thinking, great, great, man, you just need some laughter. That's demonic. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share this video is down below in the description. And, you know, all of that is there. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. In the name of Jesus, amen.